From a small borscht belt resort in the Catskills, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome Mr. and Mrs. Saturday Night, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Corey, who sent in that uh, Billy Crystal reference post-Oscars? That was brought to you by Lorenzo Rafa, who apparently was the only one who saw Mr. Saturday Night. I don't agree with that. I, I like that movie. I did, too. It was a nice tribute to a, well, to a style of comedy that we haven't seen since last night. Yeah, exactly. It was. It was good. It was good. You know, it, it seemed like a very, uh, I think ultimately the Oscar show last night seemed like a, almost like a stopgap. Because like they were in a panic, they had to replace uh, Brett Ratner, they had to replace Eddie Murphy. So let's just do the simple save. Billy's waiting but by the know, phone. You know what? Truly, it was the most enjoyable Oscar cast I, I've ever seen. I can't believe you said that. I it is. I, what, what, which one was better? Oh, I don't know. One of the ones with Bob Hope or Johnny Carson. But what I'm saying is that here's well. the, okay. Here's here's the thing. This is what this is what I'll say. Uh, the first minute of Billy's montage where he yes. inserts himself into the film. Yeah. First minute. Very funny. Yes. I'm on board. I'm like, oh, it's, it, it's nice to having him back. Yeah. The second minute of that montage, I, I got lost. With he's, Tom Cruise. He's on the, 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 he's, he's on the, 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 the film strip. And I don't yeah. know, it, it, it starts to lose me. Yeah. And I think that the, that, that warm, comfortable, fuzzy feeling of having Billy back yes. was mitigated by the fact that the material was not that funny. There was no Bruce Valanche. It was it thank was, goodness. It was Bruce missing Bal- some zing. And 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 Billy's time. I think Billy. The thing with Billy is that the one thing he did a little more of that he usually doesn't do is he would deliver a joke, he would get the laugh, and then he would wait that extra couple of beats. As he smiled as if to say, oh, boy, wasn't that funny or whatever. And I didn't need those extra couple of beats. I wanted him to move it along. You know, here's what I loved about the show. First of all, it wasn't that long. It it wound up. It wasn't. It was like a little over three hours. And I I did an interesting count. They got nine awards out of the way in the first hour. They got eight out of the way in the second hour. And then they got six out of the way in the last hour, and then you know the la- the best picture trickled over. But they pretty much they did a really good job of getting a pile of awards out of the way very quickly, and then almost as many, and then a little less. And you know, it's, so it, it, it's that's the right pace for the show. Um, I thought that was good. I love the banter. Usually, I hate the banter. I love the banter. The whole thing with Emma Stone. When she's uh, doing her little, her little, yeah, like, come on, that was hysterical. It, it was great. On, I guess the ben, ben Stiller playing the straight man for a change was terrific. I mean, the Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow bit terrific. The bridesmaids hysterical. All of those, all the short jokes. I did not see that. I had you to work. Uh, you I missed, work at a major entertainment stuff. cable network, and two I had the, to work two, that And then night. two of the bridesmaids were were getting ready to announce. They, 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 there was a, there was a, a drinking shots game moment. They're getting ready to announce another one of the shorts. They had all the bridesmaids actresses up there, and then they split off and they did a bunch of different shorts. And there were all kinds of sexual jokes about shorts. You know, I like them big, I like them long. Well, the short is be- all that kind of stuff. And then um, they're getting rid of Melissa McCarthy and uh, the English chick. Uh, what's her name? Rose Byrne. They were getting ready to, <laughs> to announce one, and um, at least I think it was the two of them. Anyway, and, and someone in the audience yells out Scorsese, and they go Scorsese, and they pull out their little uh, their little shooters, and they took a shot. It's funny you know, stuff. It, it, it is on. funny stuff, and I do love that movie. Uh, the th- the last thing we'll say on the at least I'll say about the Oscars is that uh, since the Oscars, since the Academy, mm-hmm. smartly. Mm-hmm. They don't want to make the show into the MTV Movie no, Awards. No, the Oscars will always be pretty much this. Look, it's various 24, shades of this. It's twenty-four categories 
where you have to have presenters and acceptance speeches. You have to have in memoriam. You've got to have the head, the president of the academy come out and do a little spiel. You've got to have, you know what I mean? It, there's a checklist of things that every single Oscar show must have. And within those incredibly constipating confines, you have a little tiny bit of flexibility to make it special and good and entertaining and witty. That's all. Which is so, mainly the host. The That's it. And any surprises. There you Any go. Crazy, you know, Jack Jack Palance doing his uh, and, sit-ups. And, you know, people who rip on the Oscar cast, they need Push-ups. to understand. There's not an awful lot of flexibility there to create a great show in the planning stage. The spontaneous stuff, the unexpected stuff, but you don't know who the winners are going to be. I mean, you have to do the best that you can not knowing what the unscripted stuff is going to be. So, I mean, I, I really have very little patience for these people who just rip on awards shows. It's long and boring. You know what? Honestly, watch American Idol. If, if, if you hate awards shows so much. They are what they are, and people who watch them, they know what they're getting into. So, I mean, there it is. I'm actually, my spiel. I'm actually a bit tired of um, the whole Oscar. You know what it is? It's that Oscar bashing thing of where, like, everybody feels entitled. Everybody feels like they're smart. Yeah. Everybody feels like they're on the Internet. So where, where, where you know, snarkiness is mistaken for intellect. I got, I got, nine, I got 19. Like, what? I got 19. Uh, you got 19 what? Uh, I, na- I nailed 19 uh, categories. That's exciting. But I was happy that I didn't nail two. I was happy undefeated one. I didn't expect it to. I know. It's good news. It's great news. Great news. I mean, what it meant was that people didn't sort of fall into the, the trap of going, oh, my gosh, I spent 16 years making, uh, you know, getting these guys liberated. Well, good for them, but the movie wasn't that great. You know, so they gave it to the movie that was a movie. It was moving. It was powerful. I mean, great. undefeated, man. Yep. And uh, and you know what? When when Thomas Langeman put all like three foot two inches of himself up there in front of the microphone to accept Best Picture, um, and he and he named Claude Barry for crying out loud. He like did a shout out to Claude Barry. How great is that? That's cool. That was awesome. I love that. French Knight, Jean Dujardin, OSS one seventeen has won an Oscar. I never thought I would freaking see the day. <laughs> I, I honestly, I keep, I kept, I've been, a year and a half ago, I was telling myself, someday he, he, he could be a Hollywood star. Can you star. imagine the guy who was doing all those unbelievably hilarious anti-Semitic jokes in, in OSS 2? Which, by the way, I, that's what I threw on right after the Oscars. That's what I threw on right after <laughs> the, the Oscars. I was like, you know what? I got, I got to watch OSS, uh, the second one. If you Monster guys don't Rio. rent, if you guys don't rent the, the oh first, the, now the first two OSS films, I mean, it's starring uh, 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 Dujardin. He's yes. the star, and it's directed by Hazanavicius. Those are the only the only two films that the, the Hazanavicius has done prior to this. Yes, they are so unbelievably <laughs> funny, and the you know ma- what? It's so funny that it's subtitled and it's hilarious. Com- subtitled comedy, best picture, and best director went to the guy yesterday. Who has done nothing but OSS one seventeen movies? <laughs> I I just can't wrap myself around that. Still, it's, it's like my dream come true. Imagine a movie that is so funny that even subtitled in French, I was on the floor laughing. It's hysterical. It's so funny, and people can't hit anything with a gun in that movie. All right, you know are what? On, are, are those on Blu-ray? Uh, they are in France. Oh. Yeah. Can I say something? One, one yes. more thing about the Oscars. Yes. And then we'll move on. Yes. To Harold and Kumar. Yes. <laughs> Because I know you can't wait to Well, hear about among that. other things. Um, Angelina Jolie. Yeah. I would like to say that finally. Eat, eat, eat something? N- yes. Well, there's that. But finally, I have been validated. Yes. Because for years I've been saying that Angelina Jolie is not attractive. She's scary and she's bone thin and she looks like she's just going to eat you alive. And I don't mean that in, <laughs> in, 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 in the way that you're thinking. She looks like this black widow who will just you know, just bite your head off. She's just a scary, scary, ugly, thin, bony woman. 
And finally, thanks to that dress with the slit and the leg yeah. and the whole thing, yeah. I have been vindicated. That was actually funny, the bit with the writers. With, huh? with, when Alexander Payne went up with the other two guys. Did the, not the other see two that. Ri- oh, you didn't. You know how she, she got up there and she kind of stuck her knee through the slit in the dress? She posed with her knee. Oh, I, I heard about this. And then as Alexander Payne went up with the other two guys, they stood behind him and they, and they, and they did the pose with the knee yeah. right behind him. It was hysterical. That was really funny. See, great moments like that. It was a good show. It was a damn good show. And no embarrassment. There was no moment where you just went, oh, Rob Lowe dancing with Snow White. But I like embarrassment. All right. You know what? One of the movies that was a big triumph last night, uh, 10 awards, as everyone knows, 10 awards to uh, two films, and uh, everything else pretty much got one award. A lot of spread the wealth, though. It was like 14 movies or something that all walked away with, uh, with something. But I can't, I can't believe Hugo won five Oscars. But Hugo won five, all, all in technical categories. And then the artist got the, the five you know, much more significant awards. But that's 10 awards out of 24 to movies that are pay homage to the silent era. I mean, let's be honest. Um, what I have in front of me is going to lead into one of our discussions this week. This is the uh, screenplay for Hugo by John Logan. And uh, this is published by uh, New Market Press, who does a lot of these screenplay uh, publishing things. And it, of course, is, uh, you know, they make it look like the screenplay. I think this stuff is always uh, substantially reformatted uh, to look really good in, um, in book form. But it is the actual, you know, it is actual screenplay format and courier font and, uh, you know, scene numbers and all that stuff, which I think published screenplays always should be. And uh, it's quite a nice read. It's got a lot of other little uh, little doodads on here. There's a little uh, some kind of behind the scenes stuff here, production notes and a few photographs. But otherwise, these new market releases are always quite good. I'm not a huge fan of Hugo. I know you are, but John Logan is a good screenwriter, and it's uh, it's definitely worth a read if you uh, if you kind of want to sort of see what the, the bones were that Scorsese had to work with. And that takes us into uh, an incredibly timely release this week, Mark. Hugo, limited 3D edition. Hugo. Blu-ray 3D, Blu-ray and DVD, all in one uh, one splashy thing. And it comes with a, a sticker on the box that says, nominated for 11 Academy Awards, including Best Picture, already uh, no longer timely. Wah, wah. Should be winner of five Academy Awards, not one of which is Best Picture. That is true. You know, uh, my, uh, my thoughts on Hugo, quickly. Uh, I thought it was pretty wonderful. My problem with Hugo is that I thought that uh, Scorsese's uh, attention... Scorsese's emphasis was sort of in the wrong place. I agree. I I think that uh, everything should filter through the boy. Yes. Everything that happens has to service the boy. But what happens is because Scorsese is such – he's finally got a chance to – Live out his film preservationist milieu's dream. Yeah, he he puts he. You can tell that that's what he cares about. That's why he did the movie. He True. didn't do the movie to tell the story of the boy. No, he did the movie to tell the story of milieu's. So you wind up with a, with a movie that should be about the boy. Everything should service the story of the boy. I but agree. But in the end, the emphasis is too much on milieu's. Now, so in the end, when the movie's over, it's. Quite triumphant for Melies, but the boy's like, man, who cares? And the, yeah. the, and the movie's named after the boy. The movie's not called Melies. Yeah. Now, that said, I thought a lot of it was pretty wonderful, but it did have that fundamental flaw. I'm going to tell you something. I think this movie, I know Scorsese's so proud of the way that he uses 3D. Um, I, I'll tell you, when you watch it not in 3D, the, the sequences that are designed to sort of capitalize on 3D, all of that uh, Steadicam stuff and all of that CGI stuff where they really push the perspective, um, it, it, obviously the effect does not come through, but the story is better. The storytelling is better. It's not as distracting. 
I recommend watching this on disc one, which also has some lovely special features on it. That's where all the special features are. So, you, you know, you, if you want to go to disc two and watch the 3D thing, you're welcome to. But uh, otherwise, you get a, a lovely little uh, behind-the-scenes featurette, a little featurette on Melies, uh, a thing on Sasha Baron Cohen that is not terribly interesting, and um, some special effects featurettes. But that's it. So it's very lean on the extras. I'm sure we're probably going to get a much uh, splashier special edition one day when they aren't so rushed to push this thing out to uh, try and get some Oscar juice out of it. But that being said, you know, um, it's certainly a great transfer, and the audio is fantastic. It is, uh, it is, they, they really did a number on getting the movie, the elements, ready. I think they just didn't, uh, didn't prepare a lot of extras for this thing. Or maybe they did, and they're, you know, hope, they were hoping that they might get enough awards to generate, you know, interest in a special edition down the line. Anyway, it's worth getting. Even if you double dip, it's probably worth getting. Well, I was impressed. I was impressed with the uh, Blu-ray. Thought it looked terrific. Bob Richardson won an Oscar for cinematography, which Should, is very surprising. Shouldn't have. Shouldn't have. Shouldn't have. You know what? I, I, think, I think part of the reason why Hugo won all these technical awards is that I think the, that the, the general body of the Academy, I don't know that all of them understand what makes a well-shot film. Well, look, look, look how the sound awards usually go. I mean, the sound awards usually go to whatever's the loudest. They do. That's why I was I was I, glad I mean, the Transformers didn't. Win. I mean, it, it you know it it again. It's not it's the best isn't necessarily what wins. Now I really thought Tree of Life was going to win, not because people like Tree of Life particularly, but because it's pretty much the achievement that everyone else is acknowledges the great cinematic achievement. I mean, it won the ASC. The cinematographers voted for it. Every critics group voted for it. The uh, British Academy voted for it. You know what I mean? It's like everybody else voted for Tree of Life. Oddly enough, they wound up giving it to Hugo, which is peculiar. But then again, editing, you know, everyone thought the artist was going to get it because normally that goes hand-in-hand hand with, with director and picture. And shy of that, the movie that really deserved it, frankly, was Moneyball. Moneyball is an incredibly well-edited film in every respect. Just the dialogue scenes. When he's sitting around the table with all those guys talking, I know people who, who have never edited before don't realize it. It's not action scenes that are tough to edit. It's those scenes where it's a bunch of people sitting around a table with overlapping dialogue. That's insane to have to edit that and to make that feel organic. And, and Moneyball does that in, in like a dozen different instances. It's a really well-edited film, but they gave it to Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Strange. I don't know why they did that. Yeah, that was a weird one. They might have done it just because he's, they, they survived working with Fincher. Yeah, maybe. It might have been some sort of like Purple Heart. But that wasn't that well-edited. It, was, it felt long and flabby. Like yeah, I mean, it, 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 de- just... it definitely, it definitely, it felt a little plotting. Yeah, well, it's your fault. Totally my fault. All right, you know, uh, South by Southwest is a film festival that is starting shortly. It has really soared in uh, prominence in recent years. Uh, it used to be a nothing festival that nobody had ever heard of. It takes place uh, in Austin, right? South by Southwest. It's in Austin. Uh, yes, it is. I love yeah. South by Southwest. Yeah. No, I mean it's a good festival. It just it just came from nowhere and kind of displaced Telluride, and now it it rivals Tribeca, and it's on its way to to even possibly someday trumping Sundance as kind of a a showcase for independent films because uh, people like Austin. It's uh, it's warm. It's not cold. It's not uh, you know it's it's a nice place, nice college town. Anyway, a movie that uh, did well there is uh, Myth of the American Sleepover. This is not on uh, Blu-ray. It is on DVD, however. And uh, it's, you know, it's a little bit, uh, it's one of those, I, I kind of want to say it's somewhere between uh, St. Elmo's Fire and Days and Confused, kind of. Uh, but it basically deals with a quartet of very talented young actors whom I've never seen before, 
who are uh, just trying to make it count in the last day of summer before they go back to school. And um, it's, a, it's a very inside kids thing. It's got a real John Hughes sensibility to it. And uh, I appreciate that. I think it, uh, it could have been a little bit better. Written and directed very well by David Robert Mitchell, who I think has a real future. Um, it, it could have been a little sharper if it had been overseen, had a little more money and been overseen by uh, and, uh, some perhaps more expert producers. But that being said, uh, sharp little film, good cast, quite nicely done. And uh, I hope to see more from all of these people. Wait, uh, I hope to see nothing more of Johnny English Reborn. This oh, is the no. um, the uh, the re- relaunch of the um Rowan Atkinson's famous uh, Johnny English character. Uh, you know, this movie is uh, everything that was funny about Johnny English. You know what? It, 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 it's almost like they brought in the substitute crew. Yeah, I know. It just feels like a wan well, sort it's of been, it's been copy. Well, it's been what, like 37 years since the first one? Yes. Something like that? Yes. Yeah. And so I just felt like, it's you know, there's, there's a couple laughs in it. Uh, Atkinson, you know, he's definitely game. He sees a chance to reinvigorate his classic creation, but in the end, it's just uh, it's it's just a little tired. The jokes are flat. Uh, it might appeal to some hardcore fans of the uh, Mr. Bean character, and maybe kids. Yeah, kids like seeing guys kicked in the groin. Otherwise, uh, not I, great. Uh, Blu-ray, you know, it looks fine. It's, it's not a Blu-ray showcase kind of a film. Uh, there is a couple of um, decent. Bonus features, including um, deleted scenes, which are always funny, a gag reel, which is kind of funnier than the film, and a commentary from the director, Oliver Parker. Yeah. Otherwise, Ol- forget it. Who, who Oliver Parker, by the way, who is uh, much too talented to be directing this film, really. I mean, much better with Shakespearean stuff. Good grief, Oliver Parker. He, you know, he did a couple of... He did um, Twelfth Night, which... No, did he do Twelfth Night? He's, he's done some Shakespearean stuff. It may have been The Othello. I'll have to check it up. But he's done some really good Shakespearean stuff. And then he also did the two... Um, he did uh, Othello? Yes, he that was Othello. He did The of Being Earnest? And then he... Yes, he did the two uh, Oscar Wilde adaptations, Importance Being Earnest and... and Dorian Gray. Uh, no, no, no. Um... There was another one in there, the Hellraiser? I- Ideal Husband. Ideal Husband. He did an Ideal Husband as well, which was wonderful. But why would he do this? I don't he, know. He, by the way, he also, um, uh, I don't know. He's lame. Yeah, no, he's he does, good guy. He does too many lame films. Um, you know what? A movie that was nominated for one Academy Award did not win it, um, but really should have been nominated, at least should have been considered in serious contention in some other categories, I think. But wasn't, because nobody wants to take this director seriously. Roland Emmerich's Anonymous is far and away the best film he has ever made. Um, my one-liner after seeing this movie was, uh, you know, even after seeing this movie, I, I don't believe that anyone else wrote Shakespeare's plays, but I absolutely believe someone else directed this movie. Uh, I would never have imagined Roland Emmerich had this in him, because he's made so ma- he, he's gone so increasingly into the swamp of just relentless exploitation, hyper-CGI, crap-action, summer blockbuster junk. Especially when he did, what was the 10 million BC something, whatever that yeah. was. With the, that was so dreadful. I love that movie. It was so awful. It's no, just gotten progressively sillier and sillier. And like he knows all anyone, all anyone expects of him is just to destroy the world with a lot of his special effects. And then he turns around and he makes this movie anonymous, uh, which is a rather sensationalized and uh, completely ridiculous dramatization of the idea that uh, Shakespeare didn't really write his plays, but someone else did, someone of royal blood, who, which, and we won't say who that is, but it is a legitimate theory. It's been largely debunked, but a lot of people still kind of enjoy uh, bandying it around as, you know, the, the same way that everybody loves conspiracy theories. 
Uh, and Reese Ifans plays that character, and I thought he was magnificent. Now, forget for a second about all of this, whether or not Shakespeare wrote the plays. Of course he did. That's really not in dispute. But what's interesting is that as an alternate reality, this is an interesting film because it's about a guy who loves his art so much he's willing to let someone else take the credit for it. And that's a beautiful thing. And for that reason, I think the film works. So if you can get past the fact that it's a ludicrous premise, it's actually really good. And the commentary with John Orloff, who wrote it, and uh, Roland Emmerich is great. It's terrific. Roland Emmerich is, is a great talker. And uh, Orloff is very well versed in all this stuff, and it's a really fun, uh, really fun commentary. It has some deleted scenes, um, a thing on Shakespeare, and then a bunch of Blu-ray exclusives, which uh, include uh, things on uh, some of the special effects and uh, alternate and extended scenes. And it's you know nothing, nothing really dazzling. The commentary is really the thing, and what a great looking Blu-ray, just beautiful. Sony, uh, you nailed it here. It's beautiful. The sound is great. The score is terrific. Photography's excellent. And those Oscar-nominated costumes, terrific. Can I tell you why no one saw this film? It wasn't marketed. The title. Anonymous? Yeah. It's, the, the title is, ironically, Anonymous. And you know what? It's, True. And it's you a good know point. What? It's not even – it's a bland title. And it doesn't even really explain the film because the film doesn't say that Shakespeare was Shakespeare's plays were anonymous. They they had there's a theory that this guy wrote it. Yes. Instead of this guy, there's nothing anonymous I about know, you're it. You're right. You're right. It's a bland title and it's not accurate. You're right. It is bizarre. I I agree. Uh, Wade, there's a reason why Billy Crystal hosted the Oscars uh, yesterday. Yes. What? There's two <laughs> words, Wade. Read those two words. These are, this is the reason. Tower heist. That is right. Yep, the movie that brought down the producer and host yes. of the Oscars. Uh, Tower heist is a, another Brett Ratner uh, piece of crap. It, uh, Gosh, this movie's awful. I know. It stars uh, Ben Stiller and Eddie Murphy and Matthew Broderick and a bunch of other people like that. Um, they uh, play a, a bunch of guys who get revenge on a, a Wall Street swindler played by Alan Alda. And, you know, it's one of those films that if somebody else uh, had directed it and cared more, it would be funny and there'd be some social commentary to it because it's very Bernie Madoff-y. But they didn't, they didn't rehearse. You know why? Uh, why? Because uh, Ratner says that rehearsals, well, you know, that, the line. That's right. It's the line that got him uh, basically canned. Yes. What an idiot. And, uh, you know, the, the movie is just, it's, it's labored, and it's, it's nice seeing Eddie Murphy back doing like that Eddie Murphy thing, but it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's in the service of a, it's a, terrible of a movie. script that is it's just really, uh, not great. And I don't think that Ratner is a good director of action. He's not a good director of anything. He just, he just he isn't. I, remember, I've been on the set. I've witnessed firsthand how he directs, and it's, it's, the, it's the least impressive thing you can imagine. I mean, it's like it. Any just grab a homeless guy off the street and put him in the director's chair. He'll do the same things. Well, there is. A you can't direct when you're juggling five cell phones between takes. It's absurd. Well, there was a story about how uh, you know Brett Ratner directed uh, the X Men film. Yeah. The, uh, what the third one? The third one, X Men United, or whatever right. it is. And uh, there's a story told by someone who we both know about how when Ratner was hired to direct that film, yeah. he was so over his head yeah. that he called Brian Singer. And he said, how do I do this movie? I have no idea what I'm doing. Help me. That's how over his head Brett Ratner was, That's directing X-Men. Oh, gosh. Anyway. All right. Anyway, so Tower Heist, uh, it's, ter- it's, got a, it's got a bunch of um, it's special poo. features, including two alternate endings, a gag reel, which is funny only because it's Ben Stiller and Eddie Murphy. But the movie's not great. I can see a lot of people renting this. Like it's, it, it's a total uh, red box film. Yeah, it's a total red box film, and you're going to fast forward through most of it. 
uh, it really you're not going to spend any time on it at all. Um, uh, another film I'm, I'm sad to say that is just, uh, you know, I wanted so much more out of this, and it was such a disappointment. Uh, J. Edgar, which is... Uh, Jedgar? Jedgar. J. Edgar, which is uh, an attempt at making a very legitimate Oscar bait biopic by Clint Eastwood, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, it simply does not work in any way, shape, or form at all. And I have to say, the problem is the screenplay by Dustin Lance Black, who won a uh, an Oscar, somewhat undeservedly, I think, for Milk. Um, I, think they, I think they assume that because he did a, a decent biopic with Milk that he's now the go-to biopic guy, which he certainly is not. Um, Dustin Lance Black, of course, has a lot personally invested in telling the story of Harvey Milk. He's a gay man. Milk is a gay icon. I think there's a certain emotional connection there. I don't know that J. Edgar Hoover is a, is a gay icon. Uh, whether or not he was gay, we certainly think he was. Uh, certainly was a, you know, appears to have been a cross-dresser. The question of whether or not he and his right-hand man, uh, played by uh, Army Hammer in this film, had a gay relationship or at least a platonic uh, affection for each other is certainly plumbed in the film. But I don't know many gay people who go, oh, that J. Edgar Hoover, he's our guy. He's you know dreamy, I mean? he, but but like he's a you know he really championed gay rights. He's our Hardly. guy. We look up to. I mean, he's just, look. J. Edgar Hoover is is uh, as close as this nation ever got to kind of a shadow president. And uh, this is a guy who survived a lot of different presidents, used his power um, in some scary ways, and the film explores that. But unfortunately, it, the, the 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 screenplay is very pedestrian. It's very by the numbers. DiCaprio is terribly miscast, and in all the sequences where he, the whole thing has that frame story where he's dictating his uh, his memoirs. Oh come I on! I don't like frame. I, I don't. It's you know awful. what? I'm so over frame stories. I'm so over and, them too. It's a way, cheat. It's a cheat. It's a cheap way of of piecing together fragmented elements of a life without actually having to find some steady through line. I I would like to make an argument that Clint Eastwood has lost it, and you yeah, know he what? Seems to. God love him. I'm, I'm not. I would never say anything yeah. bad about Clint Eastwood. He's, he'll come and beat me up. Yeah. But you get you get this film, and you get the uh, the yeah. other film, the Afterlife film, whatever that was called. I forgot. Yeah, which I liked. But, but you but, like but, that film? And then, and then the, the rugby thing with the and then the, yeah, the rugby no. thing. I think he's become very soft and earnest yes. in his old age. Yes, almost as if he's got things to but say. He's got to get them out. Just in the past three years, because he was really on a roll right before that. You know, he, uh, uh, with Iwo Jima, that was a solid film. Um, you know, Changeling was a solid film. You, I mean, you really? So you, I thought Changeling was really good. I thought it was really good. I, I, I love the idea of the story, but uh, well, I don't know that I love the film that much. Anyway, this has Ultraviolet on it, we should point out. Uh, we're not yet totally on board with Ultraviolet. Uh, we should point out Ultraviolet has, is, is racking up millions of subscribers. I'm not sure that a lot of people are using ultraviolet. Let me just put it that way. I think a lot of people have been buying uh, discs that have ultraviolet on them, and they're just like, oh, hey, why not? So they sign up for it. The question is, even though all the studios are, are, are in full spin uh, mode, you know, sending out all their PR releases, ultraviolet, it's catching on. I don't know that it's catching on. You've convinced people to sign up. When people start using it, when when you can find people saying, "Yeah, I watched Ultraviolet the other day. I used my Ultraviolet copy on my cell phone to watch in my, um, you know, off the computer in my hotel room or my phone or my iPod." When they start using it, then I'll buy it. But you know just getting a bunch is, of people to sign up doesn't mean anything. There's too many of these things. There's an Ultraviolet, and there's a cloud, and Amazon's got one, and everybody's got one. It's I almost know. like it's 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 too much noise. There, it really is. Like nobody knows yeah. where to. Like the thing with the iPad. Is that, 
and I'm not saying this is right or wrong because right. obviously competition and, and, and is best, but if there's a tablet, it's an iPad. Yes. You know what it is. Yes. You know what you're going to get. Yep. Not 75 of them. No. There's one of them. I, and again, I'm, I'm not advocating that because yeah. competition is always best. But when it comes to the – it's not like there's one place to store your, your, your media. Someone's got a cloud. Someone's got ultraviolet. Someone's got a digital this. Someone's got a locker that. It's yeah. just – it's all too much. Yeah. It's just all too much. Too much. Too much. Too much. Well, uh, wait, speaking of too much. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that meant. That was a good movie with uh, Antonio Banderas. That was good. What? What was? No. Too much? Yeah. Who are you? <laughs> um, what? D- directed by Fernando Treba, by the way, who uh, was one of the uh, director producers of Chico and Rita last night, nominated for animated film. And he did too much right after he won an Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film for Belle Epoque. I don't know why I know that. You know, anyone named Fernando has to be a good dancer. I, yeah. think, I think that's how it works. He's got a lazy eye. Okay, uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene is a terrific film, and uh, from uh, Sean, director Sean Durkin and writer Sean Durkin, this kind of new guy is uh, right, really blowing up. You know, it's uh, he directed two shorts before that. One of them was sort of a short short film version of Martha Marcy May Marlene. Yeah, and uh, the film stars uh, Elizabeth Olsen, the uh, one of the Olsen uh, sisters, not an Olsen twin, but one of the Olsen sisters, who don't laugh. You know, the Olsen sisters mm-hmm. are, you know, we all make fun of them because sure. they're kind of hagged out already and they're rich. <laughs> but Elizabeth Olsen is the real thing. Yeah, she is. She is great. And in the film, she plays a woman haunted by these uh, painful memories of having been in a cult. And that's all I'm going to say. I, I, uh, I'm probably saying too much in this, but I called this an art house helter skelter. You know what? I feel this is an art house helter skelter. That's exactly what it is, and it's very well done. I, I I feel it's a little bit thin when you think too much about it, but while you're watching it, it's quite well done and quite good. You know what? It's uh, um, I thought it was really well done. It, it's totally involving, and it's got it's 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 got this sort of eerie, strange kind of atmosphere of dread that sort of permeates the whole thing, but it's doesn't weigh it, it down. It's what I, I, I like it more in terms of the direction than the screenwriting because it's, uh, you know, the story is, is fairly routine in a lot of respects, but it's really well directed because it does capture a mood. It sets a tone. It winds up being a mood piece. It really it, does. It's very much a mood piece, and that is not easy to do, especially on a budget and if it's your first film. So, uh, and by the way, the whole lot of them, we gave, uh, Lafka gave them, uh, uh, we gave them the their new generation, our a, new generation award, that huh? Was a weird vote. I still don't remember how that happened. I it, just, it was like, what? We're giving it to three people? How we didn't give happen? it to Elizabeth. We didn't give it to Sean. We gave it to Elizabeth, Sean, and, and their the producing producer. partner because yeah. the three of them are some sort of a commune of uh, great filmmaking. I, uh, I still don't know how that happened. I they mean, were like, there were like a bunch of motions that were tabled, and then people raised their hands, and then suddenly we're giving an award to three people. I was very confused. It was strange. Anyway, Martha Marcy, May Marlene, very well, uh, very highly recommended. There's a couple good feature. Uh, there's a couple good uh, features on the Blu-ray. It's a little low budgety, but uh, it's a good. It's a brightly lit film and uh, with lots of uh, shadows. So it looks good. Uh, ultimately, it's a very good film. Worth a rental. Yep. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of autobiographical baggage in the way, which was written and directed by Emilio Estevez and stars uh, his father, Martin Sheen. Um, I, I got to tell you, it, it, here's the thing about Emilio Estevez's movies. Um, they, Emilio is a talented writer-director. I, I think the world of him, I think he's, I think he's a really sharp guy. But his movies always seem to be a little bit, just, they, they miss the mark just a little bit. It, it's like, I wish there were one more rewrite. I wish there was another week of principal photography. I wish there was, I wish they were just a notch and a half better than they are. And it feels like for, they, they could be. 
And I don't know why they're not. But anyway, that being said, it's a perfectly satisfying, charming movie. It's not great or anything. Uh, Martin Sheen plays basically a, a doctor who goes, who's lost his son, and Emilio plays that son. And uh, he goes to France to kind of come to grips with all of that. And there's, um, there's actually a journey, a very specific journey that uh, has a lot of meaning for him in order to honor his son. And it's one of those journeys that changes you and is filled with meaning and whatnot, and hence the title of the film, The Way. Um, it's on uh, DVD from uh, the good people at ARC. And uh, ARC is, a, is an up-and-coming distributor, and they've done a very nice job with this. A lot of great extras, a commentary with Martin and Emilio, as well as their producer. Uh, a few featurettes, which are very nicely done, and uh, you know, it, I, I, I can't really slam it. It's a decent film. It's just not great. It is. You know what? It, it, it's a film that is just sincere enough and sweet enough. enough that it, it, it forgives some sins. Yeah, and given what they've gone through with Charlie, it's hard not to sort of watch the film and just really kind of be pulling for them the whole time. Uh, I'm going to blow very quickly through some uh, Echo Bridge Miramax titles. As we have told people many, many times, Echo Bridge is uh, one of two companies, well, more than two, but basically most of the Miramax library, uh, thanks to Ron Tudor, is being divided mostly between Lionsgate and uh, Echo Bridge. All the stuff that they kind of just want to blow out there without a lot of expense goes to Echo Bridge. The stuff they want to sort of, uh, you know, market a little bit more, make it a little juicier, add some extras and really fluff it up, that stuff comes out from Lionsgate. So the uh, the, Mir- the Miramax stuff coming out from Echo Bridge mostly is just re-released without anything different than what was on these discs when they were released by Buena Vista. So here's what we got. We got Celebrity from another new Oscar winner, Woody Allen. By the way, Woody Allen and Meryl Streep, didn't it feel like it was 1977 again? I love it. Wasn't that weird? I, I was very happy for Woody. I, I thought he didn't have a chance. I agree. Oh, no, I knew. I called that one. Really? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I totally called that one. Wow. Um, Meryl Streep I didn't call. Anyway, this is, uh, this is Celebrity, one of uh, Woody's last black and white films. Um, you know, he puts a surrogate self in a lot of his movies lately, and uh, Owen Wilson was his surrogate self in uh, Midnight in Paris. Here, it's Kenneth Branagh, who was also an Oscar nominee last night. Um, I, this was actually a much maligned film, and we talked about how horrible uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was earlier in um, uh, J. Edgar. You know what? He's pretty terrific here. And when he's the star who takes uh, Kenneth Branagh out on, Ken Branagh plays a journalist, uh, on this just crazy, crazy, uh, you know, uh, high-strung celebrity outing, it is great stuff. There's a lot of really good stuff in this film, a lot of very bitter stuff. And I'm glad it's out again. Rogue Trader is a movie that never actually made it to theaters, uh, but it, it should be seen. I don't know why it didn't make it to theaters. This is the true story of uh, Nick Leeson, who was the um, a futures trader who pretty much brought down Baring's Bank, if you remember that. This is, you know, we talk about all, you know, Lehman Brothers and the stuff that happened just a few years ago. Before all that happened, um, we had the story of Nick Leeson, which should have been a cautionary tale. James Dearden, who is a very talented writer-director and uh, has kind of faded from the scene, uh, did a great job with this back in the 90s, and uh, you should check it out. Ewan McGregor plays Neeson, and it's a terrific film. Uh, also, because uh, it's just, it, you know, I, I got to tell you, Mark, I, uh, I'm a sucker for Anna Friel. I admit it, sucker for Anna Friel. Uh, Buffalo Soldiers, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Ed Harris, Scott Glenn, and Anna Paquin, who we were just watching earlier. We watched her uh, little Oscar acceptance I know, moment she was for so the piano. tiny. 
this was directed by Gregor Jordan. Uh, you know, not a great film, but uh, if you want to kind of see these guys uh, when they were a lot younger, that's out there too. Holy Smoke uh, is a film that I do not have a great deal of fondness for, even though I love Jane Campion. Once uh, Harvey Keitel puts on the, uh, the stockings, it gets really weird. This is Jane Campion in totally uh, non-commercial mode, just wasting all of her uh, capital from the piano. Uh, Pinocchio is uh, Roberto Benigni wasting all of his capital from Life is Beautiful. This is just a catastrophe, and I don't know what they were thinking. But anyway, that's out there again. As is uh, our last film, Hoax, uh, a decent performance from Richard Gere in a so-so movie directed by Lassie Hallstrom, who uh, hopefully will get his career back on track again soon. But uh, the, this film is, you know, it's okay. I, uh, Gear is very convincing as the, uh, the, the pivotal con man. It's a true story. But um, I think the rest of the movie just feels a little bit hasty. But nonetheless, that's beside the point. All these films, once again, out on DVD. Decent transfers. Echo Bridge, very affordable. Good job, Wade. Thank you. Blown All right, shall it. we? Uh, Do some movies. Let's. Uh, people like movies. People do like movies. You know what? Hold on here. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. We're going to get into uh, a few foreign things, too. I'll, um, I'll let you prep that stuff. And I'm just make mention of some uh, uh, Criterion stuff here in our foreign oh, pile. I want Criterion stuff. We've got great Criterion oh, stuff. What is that? What, what, what's that? What's that other one? I'll show you in just a moment. But I want it. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I want it. Three Outlaw Samurai by Hideo Gosha. Um, Criterion release, a special Blu-ray edition. It is gorgeous. This is great uh, Japanese new wave black and white cinematography from 1964. Um, you know, it, there's just people always think Kurosawa, Kurosawa, Kurosawa. Everybody else was making samurai films in the 60s as well, 50s and 60s. And some of them are better than a lot of Kurosawa films. And uh, Three Outlaw Samurai is one of the best of it. No, no, you don't get, uh, you know, Mifune, and you don't get Kurosawa, but you get a completely fascinating story um, about a, an intriguing trio of samurai, one guy who sort of gets in with a couple of others, and they are supposed to murder uh, these, these villagers who are presumably guilty of kidnapping um, a certain magistrate's daughter. It is... A fascinating script, and it is done so carefully and so deliberately. And you look at this, and I think you would, you know, a movie like this, they'd shoot it with way too many cameras, there'd be too many edits, too much steady cam. And instead, it's got that great economy that you get in so many films in the 60s, American and foreign. Uh, really nicely done. Not much by way of extras. There's the usual booklet and all that jazz, but uh, the, the transfer is just spectacular. Really, really a nice release. Three Outlaw Samurai. And then we also have a Blu-ray here of World on a Wire, which is a little-scene Fassbinder film from 1973 uh, that is very long. This is about a three-and-a-half-hour-long film, so get ready, because when Fassbinder really brings it, he brings it. And it goes on and on and on and on. Um, this is a very, very peculiar film. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a quasi-science fiction story about a, uh, a cybernetic engineer who it kind of dis- uh, uncovers a plot. 
and uh, it's a little hard to get into the details of what this really, really goes. But it's it's very it, it's let's say it's timely in this time now where everybody suspects you know corporate abuse here and corporate abuse there and corruption here and there. Um, this was kind of a futuristic uh, prophetic film and has a lot of interesting uh, extras on it, including a, um, a thing called World on a Wire, uh, looking ahead to today, which is this hour-long documentary uh, by Julian Lawrence about uh, basically just about the film. And then there's a great interview with a German film scholar and um, a few other little, uh, little tidbits that are uh, really, really nice. So um, if you're a Fassbinder film, you'll love it. But remember, three and a half hours long, great transfer, Gorgeous, gorgeous uh, color, but wow, is it long. Uh, wait, another movie that's long is um, Nijinsky. Now, Nijinsky was directed by Herbert Ross, who uh, directed The Turning Point. He was a, a former choreographer. Yes, he was a choreographer for Funny Lady. Well, what's very strange... When he directed Funny Lady, choreographer for Funny Girl, and then he went on and graduated to direct Funny Lady. That's yes. what it was, yeah. But the weird thing about Nijinsky... Uh, which, of course, is about the uh, famous Russian uh, ballet dancer who was married to a woman but in love with a man. Uh, and Nijinsky ba- and wound up just descending into madness over the course of his life, which really happened, and, of course, the film. Um, by the way, Jeremy Irons makes his film debut here. But uh, the weird thing is that the way Herbert Ross directs the uh, ballet stuff I thought was really not great because he winds up – he doesn't shoot the ballet or much of the ballet stuff. He doesn't really shoot it full body. He really only shoots it waist up. So you, yeah. so in the in the ballet scenes, <clears throat> you miss, you know, the the dancers' legs as they as they're gliding along the stage, and that's part of the beauty of ballet, which I barely like as it is. But at least I like that part, and you really don't get that in a lot of the ballet scenes, which is kind of really disappointing. Um, but anyway, so the movie is. Um, it was popular for the time. I, I kind of found it a bit uh, tedious. Uh, but you know what? If you like ballet, and really, who doesn't? I, 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 I can like some ballet. You don't like ballet. I, well, sometimes. I like, I like dancing ballet. What are you talking about? I, I'm, I sometimes will, you know, well, I don't want to get into it. It's kind of I would, um, I'll stop that. I would go with The Turning Point. It's a better film. It's a, it's a more modern film. Uh, Ross, uh, you know. It was know, an Oscar catastrophe, you know. It was nominated for like <clears throat> like 11 or 12. 12, I think it was nominated for 12 Oscars, and it didn't win a single one. Didn't win Jack. Not one of them. That's right. But, uh, you know, Alan Bates is in it, and we love Alan Bates. He's super cool. Again, Jeremy Irons makes his um, a movie debut in it. And uh, George De La Pena plays Nijinsky. He's very good in it. But uh, ultimately, I think this is kind of a flawed film uh, that did get a bunch of attention at the time. I don't know that it's aged very well, but uh, it is Nijinsky. It is on Blu-ray and DVD. And when it comes to um, extras, you get nothing. 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 Jack. Yeah. Jack squat. You know, uh, if you like Romanian cinema, and I... Who doesn't? I'm mixed on it. I'm really mixed on it. Uh, You know, stuff like uh, Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days, I I love. And then stuff like The Death of Mr. Lazarescu. Awesome. No, not so awesome. Awesome. Or Police Adjective. Awesome. Yeah, Phone Book. Um, Which is funny, because like a, a book... A book actually takes center stage in the last like twenty minutes of that film. Yes, that, that's, as he gets the dictionary. Don't you remember? Like, in our, do you remember in our <laughs> in our voting? I think it was it was Peter De Bruges that made the joke. Uh, uh, some where at some point, you know, uh, it, there was a phone book joke in our voting, and it was Peter who made it. 
where he said maybe you should have read him the phone book or something like that. It was it got a huge laugh in the room. I don't anyway, know what you're talking about. Tales from the Golden Age, uh, which was scripted by uh, Christian Munju, who did four three two four months three weeks and two days, is a, is an interesting film. It's almost two and a half hours long, but this is basically a weird Romanian omnibus film that ties together all of these urban legends and myths about wacky crap and crazy junk that happened during and as a result of um, the um, the Ceausescu years. The Nicolae Ceausescu, uh, you know, the, the, the crazy dictator years of his tyrannical rule. And um, it's, uh, it's, I guess you have to be Romanian to fully appreciate it. I, I think there's a... There's a certain sensibility that we don't necessarily bring, a, a, an Eastern European sensibility that you need to sort of get inside this movie completely. That said, I think about 65% of it is thoroughly enjoyable and uh, twisted and weird and amusing and uh, provocative all at the same time. Um, it also a little kind of sad and disturbing at times. So it, it really puts you through a ringer of emotions. But uh, that being said, I still feel like I'm missing about a third of what's really going on. I feel like I, 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 there's like every somewhere I, I'm just not fully capturing this film. So uh, that being said, Tales from the Golden Age, Romanian urban myths of the 80s. Um, worth checking out. Worth checking out. Maybe more of a rental than a buy. Wade, uh, there's a film that's on Blu-ray and uh, DVD from the good people at Ola Films that is more notable for its history than for uh, the quality. It's a movie called The Buccaneer. Now, The Buccaneer is from 1958, and it was supposed to be directed by Cecil B. DeMille, but DeMille was very ill, and he wound up handing the directing reins to his son-in-law, none other than Anthony Quinn. And the only film that Anthony Quinn directed was uh, The Buccaneer. And oh, my gosh. It is a, uh, it's a film that takes place during the War of 1812. And uh, Andrew Jackson has only a handful of men left to defend New Orleans against the British fleet that is coming. And um, it sort of revolves around the last buccaneer, this guy Jean Lafitte, who uh, is integral as he decides whether he wants to uh, back the Americans or back the British. And, uh, you know, the film was uh, not very good. I don't know that Cecil B. DeMille would have made it anything had he wound up being healthy enough to direct it. He had originally developed it as a musical, but then changed his mind um, because Yul Brenner was not into uh, starring in a musical at that time. Of course, Brenner would wind up in The King and I, but for The Buccaneer, he wasn't into doing a musical. Um, but, you know, it looks good. You know, Edith Head did the costume, so the costumes are great. Um, it's definitely got like a kind of swashbuckling thing going on. It's got a good cast. Yul Brenner, Charles Boyer's in it. Charles Boyer is in it. Claire Bloom, good cast. I just think that this is just a weird little kind of misbegotten-y kind of misfire that uh, is more interesting for uh, its backstory than the actual movie. Groovy. Well, you know what? We also have another couple of films from Olive from their, uh, their output deal with Paramount. Worth mentioning, uh, The Mountain, starring Spencer Tracy and Robert Wagner, a very young-looking Robert Wagner, has been on DVD before. It's now out on Blu-ray. And uh, it's a good-looking Blu-ray. Um, I don't think the film was all that well shot to begin with. It, uh, it's, you know, the whole mountain, the whole plane crash, mountain climbing backdrop of it. A lot of this is, is in-studio stuff, and a lot of it is not terribly good 
location photography. So um, the Blu-ray tends to sort of accentuate, I think, some of the inadequacies. That being said, uh, if you can sort of handle that, it's, uh, it, you know, it probably looked that way when it was projected. Uh, Eddie Dimitrick, a controversial uh, noir director who uh, wound up becoming a, uh, a blacklist informant, um, is uh, directed this and, of course, you know, did a lot of great films despite whatever people may feel about his politics and his actions. Uh, you know, other, other great performances in here, E.G. Marshall and Claire Trevor. It's a decent little film. Uh, you know, not the best thing that any of these people have ever done and it's okay. And then Where Love Has Gone also has been out on DVD. This is with Betty Davis and Susan Where Hayward. Where Love Has Gone, Wade. Yeah, boy, this I hate is those, a, like, melodramatic titles. Well, Where this is... Love Has Gone. This is based on Harold Robbins' novel, so you, you oh, know. Oh, now it's, yeah. it's all coming together. It's all coming together. Uh, yeah, I, th- this film is a little bit over the top, but uh, you know, look, I, it is what it is. It's an artifact of the era. Also directed by Eddie Dimitrick, uh, although you would never know it. It doesn't really have any of his uh, his his sort of trademark elements on it. It's uh, just kind of a it's like a job for hire, I guess it was in 1964 when he did this, but. Uh, you know, it's okay. It just it just screams Robbins more than anything else. Uh, Wade, my pick of the week is the uh, beautiful, gorgeous uh, Blu-ray of Unforgiven. This was uh, Clint Eastwood's probably finest hour as a director. He won an Oscar for it. Uh, the film won Best Picture. Uh, Gene Hackman, my favorite actor of all time. I know. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but I have to say I do love Gene Hackman. I love Gene Hackman. I really do. He's, he's great. He's awesome. He's one of the, you know, Gene Hackman, he, here's words of Wade's wisdom today. Wade's words of wisdom. Um, that when you, you know you're watching a great actor, when you don't see them acting, when they just appear to be doing. And Gene Hackman is a guy, every role he's ever done, I never feel like he's acting. He's just there. He's I just doing. Him. He's awesome. It, that, the, the, that laugh, that Hackman laugh, that's oh, the best. It is. I do love him. Anyway, he won an Oscar, too, and uh, Joel Cox won for editing. This, of course, uh, is the story of an outlaw who um, has one last job, way, which is to pick up a bounty. That's all he has to do. That's it. Comes out of retirement to pick up a bounty, and then he just uh, he can retire and yeah. uh, be with his kids, and that's the end of it. But no, Wade. Other stuff happens. You know what happens, Wade? What? A complete and utter deconstruction of the Western myth. That's what happens, Wade. That's great. That is what happens. Good film. This is a great, great film. This is provocative stuff. This is a total deconstruction deconstruction of everything that made Eastwood a star. Um, he just tears down the Western myth and sort of really reveals it for what it is, which is just really just sad. Just sad people, sad, lonely, violent people who are faded to an early death. And uh, I just loved it. It's a great, great film. There's a whole lot of shades of gray moralism going on, which I think is great. And uh, it's just a classic. Unforgiven is a classic. And it comes with an anniversary uh, book, which is great. It's got the, you know, Warner Brothers does the, um, the Blu-ray like that, book that thing. Blu-ray digipacky bl- book, book, thing. book thing. Which everybody else is copying now. Yes. Yeah. But for this, it is worth it because the film is a, uh, is a modern classic and it's unforgiven and it is very highly recommended. Best picture of 1992. That is right. It's been 20 years. I know. I, actually, I remember, I remember seeing it. This the is as old now. As the Godfather was when this won Best Picture. Could I just point that out to you? Uh, I'm doing some math in my head. I'm confused. Okay. Okay. Anyway, uh, my pick of the week is one of uh, two Criterion releases that uh, we still are going to talk about. These are uh, not foreign films. These are English language films. And this is Otto Preminger's Anatomy of a Murder on Blu-ray. Wow, what a gorgeous, spectacular film this is. Uh, This came out in 1959. It is uh, two hours and 41 minutes long. 
another long sit. We got some long ones this week. That's good, though. Oh, it's good. It's a good sit. It's a really good sit. Uh, terrific black and white photography. Really terrific stuff. This came out in 1959, which was the year of Ben-Hur, so everything else kind of got overshadowed that year. But um, Jimmy Stewart basically plays a lawyer who's defending Ben Gazzara, who's uh, up on murder charges. And um, the whole thing, I, I normally hate courtroom dramas. No, really this do. is different. But this is different. Totally. This is completely different. This, is, this, is, uh, this expands that in much the same way that uh, To Kill a Mockingbird did. You know? it, it really works outside the box. And Premin- it's maybe Preminger's best film, actually. Um, well, for th- those of you that don't know, Preminger also is the guy who played Mr. Freeze on the Batman TV show. He's actually a real director, kind of like the, how the guy who did all those wine commercials, he once did a movie called Citizen Kane. <laughs> you know what, what, what I, you know, Preminger to me is a guy who really, we've lost how important he was. You realize that when you look at movies like The Moon is Blue. He pushed the envelope. That Moon is Blue yeah. and Anatomy of a Murder. I mean, this is stuff that yeah. was that Man with the Golden Arm. Yeah, these are movies that um, that first of all they helped get rid of the the, the censorship, uh, the, the, the Hayes Commission, the Hayes Commission, yeah. which is fantastic. Yeah, but when you look at movies like Moon Is Blue, Anatomy of a Murder, like Anatomy of a Murder was the first film to really not very only say, frank sexual discussion, very frank, yeah. sec- like, and 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 it's almost it, it, in fact, if you compare it to other films of the day, even though it's not shocking by current standards. By what we expect of films of this time, if you haven't seen it, you would watch it and you'd go, "Geez, that's kind of risque." Nineteen fifty nine, really? You can really, you, you really you do feel, feel it. You feel you it. That, you, you really, said it yeah. The same time. No, you do. When, when when Jimmy Stewart starts saying the rape, yeah, yeah, you really do feel like there's a boundary being crossed. Yeah, even you do. In, even in nineteen fifty whatever we find nineteen fifty nine, it's a great film. And Otto Preminger, I, I just you know that guy, he's super cool. It's great. It's a terrific film. He also directed Exodus, and by the way, he he directed. Advise and Consent, yeah, which is a terrific film. It's like a it's like a political thriller. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why you should, I mean, there's many reasons why you should watch Advise and Consent, including Henry Fonda and Walter Pidgeon. But also, ladies and gentlemen, the reason why you need to watch Advise and Consent, which is from 1962, is because it features very briefly a very very young Betty White. Totally, it does. Well, our other Criterion release this week, and anyway. First, I, an, yes. an, an Anatomy of a Murder, very highly recommended. Highly recommended, and gobs and gobs of extras. I can't even, there's no point. I mean, you know, there's stuff on here that deals with Saul Bass, who did the great graphic work for the, the title sequence and, and what you see on the cover of the, uh, the, the disc. Uh, I mean, just tons. Behind-the-scenes stuff, discussions with uh, Preminger uh, on Firing Line with William F. Buckley. I mean, it's just on and on and on. You can't believe, the extras are as good as the movie. It's really great and gets into the, the historical context of it. Uh, the other Criterion release here we have in the English language is uh, Vanya on 42nd Street, uh, Louis Malle's very unfortunate final film from 1994. I know a lot of people love this. Um, I don't love this. And, and so if you love it, just go get it. Don't ask me to like it. Uh, it's an experiment that just doesn't work for me. It works for lots of other people. Uh, Uncle Vanya is not a play that I appreciate. So I'm not a fan of the Chekhov thing to begin with. But so, Sulu... Thank you. Um, basically, what it is is, is uh, you know, the, Louis Malt got a bunch of his friends, including uh, the My Dinner with Andre guys, Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory, and uh, they all got together and they did like a spontaneous uh, staging of Vanya without actual sets or anything. They're just kind of sitting around on a stage somewhere on 42nd Street with nothing around them. It's like and, you know, the and, Lars von Trier film. And a handheld camera just yeah. sort of capturing him doing this thing. And it just, it honestly bored me into a coma. 
Um, I thought it was horrible, and I just don't understand it, but it made all kinds of top ten lists, and people went crazy, and I felt like it was the Emperor's New Clothes. I don't get it. But nonetheless, here it is. It's got a spectacular Criterion treatment, um, and it's a nice Blu-ray. It's a very nice Blu-ray. It's not a well-shot film. It's grainy as all, all can be, but they've preserved that grain on that Blu-ray, and boy, that Blu-ray is going to just... There's, there's enough grain here to feed half of Africa, I'll tell you. Really, it's oh, 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 you made you. the grain into a different thing. Um, <laughs> uh, Wade, a very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas is available on uh, Blu-ray. Oh, heaven well, help there's us all. Th- there's two. There's the Blu-ray slash DVD slash ultraviolet version, and then there's the 3D Blu-ray slash Blu-ray slash DVD slash ultraviolet version. Uh, suffice it to say, you will not be buying either. But you certainly won't be buying the uh, 3D version. This was directed by a guy named uh, Todd Strauss-Schulson. And to give you a sense of uh, the types of uh, films that he's done, here are two, Wade. One was a short called Sorority Pillow Fight, and the other was a TV series called Zombies and Cheerleaders. Oh, whatever. So you know we're looking at a guy who's just, oh, so hilarious the way he's all all edgy and stuff and junk. Yeah, totally. You know, I was sympathetic towards Harold and Kumar go to Guantanamo Bay, whatever, you know, whatever it was called. No. Because I was kind of hoping for some, like a little bit of like maybe, yeah. not political commentary, but like don't make it like, or just make it stupid in a smart way. Yeah. So I was ready for Guantanamo Bay, but it wound up being just stupid. Yeah. And so here you don't get really much better. No, there's a look. I mean, I hate these movies. They, 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 this is this is marginally better than uh, the the that one of them I forget which one I hate more than the other I hate them all so much they're just they're beyond hope but come on I mean it, it has fun with the whole 3D thing uh, it sort of throws it in your face and mocks it but seriously it's, I just I can't stand these movies you know they, they, they play off of the uh, the old uh, tongue on the frozen pole bit from uh, Christmas Story except it's not charming here because it's not a tongue oh that's right yes one of our intrepid heroes gets his member stuck to a frozen pole in the middle of the night. It's just a stupid, horrible thing. But I will say this. Um, I, I always thoroughly enjoy uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Who doesn't, Wade? He's NP... Neil... What is it? NPH. NPH. Yes. Uh, Wade, another... Actually, another pick. Another Blu-ray pick. Uh, finally, on Blu-ray is On the Bowery. Now, On the Bowery is a 1956 documentary. And the what's amazing about this film is that it's very sort of neorealist. It's kind of like a half documentary, partially scripted. It was the movie directed by this guy named Lionel Rogerson. He used only real real people people who lived on the Bowery in the mid-50s. These are not professional actors. They are people who live on the Bowery, and some some of the cast wound up drinking themselves to death after the film I know, was over. It's, I know. It's inc- it's incredible. You're looking at people who are going to be dead within days in yes. some cases. Yeah. And it's a it's a remarkable film. It's 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 got a plot. It's you know three days in this in the New York Skid Row area of the Bowery, and it's about a railroad worker who goes to the Bowery to kind of you know yeah. get drunk and and do what they do on the Bowery, and he meets all these different people. And uh, but it's again, it's all done with um, uh, non-actors who lived on the Bowery, and you really, really get a sense of what it's like. It's real locations. It's real people. It looks like a documentary, but it's got a, it's got, it, there's a little bit of scripted story in there, so there's just enough to hang yourself on. 
and uh, I think it's great. It's it's a remarkable film. It's a very famous film. It was recently. It came out on, on DVD, which was a big deal. Yeah. When it did. Yeah. Now it's on Blu-ray. And it looks gorgeous. And it looks great. There's a whole bunch of um, special features on the uh, Blu-ray, which you got to check out. And uh, it's great. It's it's actually a two Blu-ray set. Nice. So uh, it's really good looking stuff. You're not going to let me have this, are you? Nope. But I want it. That's okay. Recommended. Buy it. And we at are going least, to... At least rent it as a as a very interesting piece of documentary history. That's it. All right. We are uh, we are done. So we are going to wrap up. And uh, if you need to send us anything, any questions, any comments, any queries, send it to us at godsatdigigods.com. We need more audio questions. And we need more audio questions for Voxbox. Voxbox. Send us audio questions. We'll I, like, read, we'll, I like that. Name. We'll play them back as part of Voxbox. See you next week.